Brother Matthew mentioned, I'll be continuing our study on miracles of Jesus. Um, a little bit unorthodox study. I, it started out as a study on a miracle, and I thought I'd add a little history to give preface to what we're going to go over, and then it turned into a character study, which ended up being a chapter study over the entire chapter we're going to be on. So we cover the miracle in long fashion, uh, so I apologize. <clears throat> That's just kind of how it turned out. I wouldn't plan on that. But for just a, a little bit this afternoon as we we begin this, we imagine, uh, if we can, that we're living roughly in you know, around 30 A.D., we live uh, we're in a city. We're near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we are, you know, we're fishermen by trade. And, you know, we, you have a brother. Um, and he's a follower of this man that's named John. It's called John the Baptist. And he's a strange and odd kind of guy. And he travels around the wilderness and he eats weird stuff. Um, and he's calling everybody out, especially the hypocritical Jewish leaders. Um, and one day your brother runs up to you and says, you know, we found him. He's excited. He says, we found the Messiah. And he's so excited, so you go with him, and you, you meet this man, and as soon as you approach him, he looks at you, and he looks at you like he knows you, like he knows who you are in a way that is, I assume was probably kind of eerie at first. Perhaps it was uh, pleasant, and it was Jesus. And with no prior introduction, he says to you, he says, I know you, I know who you are, I know who your father is, and soon you will be known as Cephas. You'll be known as a stone. Later on, you and your your brother, you would be on the Sea of Galilee, you'll be fishing. As we mentioned that you know, you're fishers by trade and you fish all night, you have nothing to show for it. And early in the morning, you're putting in, you're <clears throat> getting wrapped up from a long, tireless night of fishing. You see this, this man again, he's on the shore and he has to board your boat. And if you'll push out a little ways that he may speak and be heard better by those who are listening to him. And when he's done speaking, he, he ends, he just turns, looks at you and he says, you push a little bit further and cast cast out your nets. And you feel that it's a little bit foolish, um, but you do so anyway. And so many fish rush into your net that it begins to tear, begins to break the net. And you tell your friends to come and help you. By the time it's over, both boats we read are filled with fish in Scripture. Of course, at this point, you realize your name is, is Peter. Your brother's name is Andrew. And I love his exclamation after this miraculous event once he realizes what has happened here whether he fully realizes who Jesus is or not at this point he realizes this is a holy individual it's a holy man he exclaims depart from me for I'm a sinful man O Lord I, I love Peter uh, and immediately once the boats are brought in Peter his brother James and John sons of Zebedee would um, be known John himself be known as the one that Jesus loved they forsake everything and they follow after Jesus. And when Jesus performs miracles, they're always for a purpose. There's no, they're not just done willy-nilly just for the sake of him flexing just how much power he has. He was doing this to show them in some way who he was and cause them to desire to follow after him, to give, to give them some you know, extent of, of faith in him. And from this point on, it's kind of a whirlwind for the next few years. Things gradually get more and more intense uh, the next few years, the apostles you know, will travel around all over the place. They sit you know, with the Son of God. They see some amazing things, many more miracles that are worked. Um, Peter's own mother-in-law will end up being healed, and you get to listen to Jesus' teachings. And he, Jesus keeps doing all these wonderful things, showing who he is, and he teaches you, and you're understanding more and more, and he talks of a day that's coming. He speaks towards a day, speaks for, towards a kingdom that's to come. And you recognize some of this because, you know, you grew up, you know, being taught these things from the Old Testament scriptures. But it's all so much to try and comprehend. Because for centuries it's been taught that the Messiah would come back and he would be a mighty king and rule his people with a physical kingdom. And so it seems these ideas aren't fully comprehended by the men with them. Even, even Peter, who's um, always up for the next thing, he's up for whatever challenge, is never short of words, he's never sitting quietly to the side. Um, when Jesus is walking on water, Peter wants to be on the water. Jesus asks, 
who they believe he is, Peter without hesitation proclaims he's Christ, the son of the living God. Peter brings the sword along with him at times just in case there's trouble, so he's prepared. Peter is all in. He believes and he's willing to do whatever it takes to obey and to follow Jesus and see his kingdom come. But how little he or any of them really truly seem to understand what is happening at times or what they are about to witness. John 12 and verse 1, we see it's about six days before the Passover. And Jesus has come to Bethany and Mary anoints his feet, which after being ridiculed by some of the disciples, Jesus says that this um, was held for this day, for his day of burial, which still doesn't seem to really click with many of them. And now we come to the final few days before Christ's crucifixion. And on the 10th of the Hebrew month of, of Nisan, um, that would be it's April for us, uh, according to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, the people would use this day to select their Passover lambs. And I'm going to attempt to also write on the board an orthodox lesson, and we're just going to go crazy. Um, so on the 10th, so this would, this, this would be a Sunday. It's a Sunday here. And on this day, this is where when they would, according to Leviticus, will be read there, they would be selecting their lambs for Passover at this time. We also see that um, this falls different days of the week, but you can look back and compare calendars and see that this particular year would fall on a Sunday, the day before the Jewish, uh, well, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, rather. They would choose their lambs, a lamb that was spotless, a lamb that would be without blemish. And on this day, we find Jesus also greeted by palm branches. He's riding on the colt of a donkey, and he's riding into, Jeru into Jerusalem. We find this spotless lamb is, you know, in a sense, being chosen, and they they don't fully understand this. But Jesus is riding in. So on this on the tenth Sunday, this is when the lamb is selected. Hopefully, all this backstory makes sense. The lamb is selected, and Jesus is riding in on a donkey. In in his in this way. The lambs coming in, the spotless lambs coming into Jerusalem is being chosen for the Passover. Mark 11 and 15 tells us that the following day, which would be Monday, the, the Lambeth Monday, that Jesus, he comes to Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, and there were those who had made a business of selling there in the temple, and are, um, especially around the time of Passover, I'm sure, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're here in the temple and they're taking advantage of other Jewish brethren. Jesus claims that they have turned the house of prayer into a house of thieves, you recall. And he drives them out, an example we have there of, of righteous anger from Jesus. So on this Monday, my handwriting. Um, on this Monday, he cleanses the temple. I'm hoping to show this is so, because I didn't really fully realize how many, how much happens just a few days here leading up to once we finally get to the miracle that we're going to discuss. Um, so he comes, he comes to the temple. He declares that they have turned the, the house of prayer into a house of thieves. He drives them out, knocks over the tables of the men who are selling the doves. The following day, Tuesday, Jesus and his disciples, they they come again to Jerusalem. They pass the fig tree. They had seen the day before that Jesus had cursed, and Peter you know, notices that the, the tree has been, has been withered. And Jesus enters the temple once again. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they come, they approach Jesus, and they demand that he tell them about what authority he's doing these things that he's doing. The apostles will once again be here for this entire interaction. Um, they're watching, they're observing, they're listening to what Jesus has to say, and at the end of Mark 11, um, Jesus counters their question uh, with a question and leaves them unable to answer. And so he does not tell them about what authority he does these things. He asks them about the baptism of John, about what, what authority did he have? And they can't answer it um, because he realizes that he's trapped them in their own game. And so he says, I will not you know, tell you these things, tell you about what authority I do these things. So his authority on, the, on Tuesday here 
is questioned by the scribes. His authority is questioned. And some of these, when you're reading scripture, it's also kind of odd because the Hebrew time is very different. When they start their day, where their nights and days are, it's kind of offset from ours. Um, but that evening, coming in, which would be early Wednesday morning, or coming in super early that morning, uh, as the Hebrew time is a lot different, as, we, as he mentioned, they're going for for dinner in the house of Simon the leper. And we find in Matthew 26 and 2 that Jesus is stating that after two days, the coming Thursday and Friday being the second day, after two days it would be the time of the Passover and that the Son of Man would be delivered to be crucified. Um, and once again, imagine you're, you're being there as an apostle, you're hearing all these things, and so much is happening, and now it's getting all kind of compacted together, everything's coming to a head. And he says, after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered and he'll be crucified. And a woman comes with an expensive flask of oil and pours it on his head, preparing him for his burial, is what Jesus tells the disciples, yet they really don't understand what, what's going on. He says that he will be delivered to be crucified um, after two days. And then also he says this woman's doing this, even though they don't understand why, he's doing it for his burial. He's right, he's right out telling them exactly what is going to happen. They still don't seem to understand. So that Wednesday morning to have dear Simon the leper and he's anointed. He's anointed for burial there on Wednesday. <clears throat> From John 13 we can deduce that it is the night hours leading up to the day of Thursday that they um, that, that they would have what we refer to as the Last Supper will be on Thursday. Jesus washes their feet. We're called Peter, in very much Peter fashion, abhorred by the thought of Jesus, you know, washing his feet, refuses so. And we tell him that if he does not do this, that he would have no part in him. Then Peter, once again, in very Peter fashion, says, then wash my, my head and my hands as well. That's all happening here on this Thursday. That that late, that early morning, that, or the Wednesday night coming in as our time has it, um, we have the Last Supper. We have the Last Supper here. <clears throat> and while they're there, um, with the disciples, Jesus is there with the disciples, he tells them that one of them is going to betray him. And they're, you know, worried about that. So Peter, we're told, motions to the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, who was reclining there with Jesus at the table. And he motions, and he asked John, he asked him, asked, asked Jesus who, who it is that's going to betray him. And so John does. John asks him, Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus, you know, he says, whoever it is I give this dip piece of bread to. And then Jesus immediately dips the bread and hands it straight to Judas and then tells Judas what you're going to do, do quickly. And still it seems that no one really understands. He is seems like he's spelling out to them exactly what is going to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Here's a person who's going to help facilitate this. And they still aren't really understanding. And what we're told that once Jesus exited the building, after Jesus told him to go and do it quickly, we're told that when he exited that it is nighttime. So it is early, early morning on this Thursday <clears throat> that we have the Last Supper. And here now, once again, we get into more while we're focusing on Peter a little bit. Um, more than the others. Jesus continues to speak to the rest of the apostles and it, it does seem that Peter begins to understand a little bit of what's going on. Jesus, it seems, is going somewhere. Peter's got that much. He knows Jesus is going somewhere and I don't know where it is. And so he asks him, he says, ask him, he says where are you going? And Jesus says, you cannot go with me, but that one day he will, but you can't go now. And Peter questions again, said, Lord, why can I not follow you? He says, I will lay down my life for your sake. I can go anywhere you can go. Jesus looks and says, you know, really? So will you lay down your life for me? And then Peter, you know, boasting that he is, you know, the most faithful of all the disciples, he says, even if all were made to stumble, all of these here, if John, if everyone was, able to, was made to stumble, I will never stumble. And Jesus tells him, Peter, the rooster will not crow before you have denied me three times. That all happens here at this point. 
And then we see Jesus then goes to pray. And he leaves most of the disciples outside and he takes Peter and James and John in with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes this same night, so it's just the same night they've had the supper and they immediately go from here and they go to the Garden to pray. I said the Garden. <clears throat> they go there and he tells them, he says, he asked them to stay with me. He says, I am sorrowful unto death. He said, please sit with me as we you know, if you've read through the New Testament, you realize that these are his, you know, the inner circle they're called. John is the one that, that Jesus referred to by John as the one that Jesus loved. Peter is pretty obviously the leader of the apostles. And you will recall as he goes through this, his praying here this night in the, in the garden that Jesus is sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, we're told. He is in such distress. And he's praying, if, if there's any way this could pass from me, to the Father, let this pass from me. And he's asking his closest friends on this earth. He said, please be with me. I am sorrowful unto death. Please be with me. And he goes off a ways and prays. He comes back and they're sleeping. In Matthew 26 and 40, it's interesting. Jesus wakes them, but he specifically calls out Peter. And he says, this Peter, who, is, who will never stumble, who will never made a falter. He says, Peter, can you not watch with me one hour? Can I be with me one hour? I'm in such distress. You can. They had to be able to see it on him and they couldn't. After a couple rounds of back and forth of this, Jesus comes to them again and he wakes them and he tells them, you're still, you're still resting. You still, can't, you still can't be with me. And he says, behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go and see. And here this same night in the garden, we see that Judas arrives with a multitude of men. These men are armed to the, chief, to the teeth. There's chief priests there. There's elders there as well. And Judas comes up and kisses Jesus to mark him as the one to be arrested. Then the men come forward, and they come forward to take Jesus. And you would think that Judas, I mean, a businessman, would have warned them about Simon Peter. You know, we have Simon the Zealot here, and he's a pretty intense guy. But this Simon Peter may be a problem. But they run up, they go to take Jesus, and the impulsive one who has the sword, Peter, comes forward, cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear, and his... You know, his desire, and his, you know, he, he has to protect Jesus. This is what he's been probably fearing this whole time with them going through and all these things that have been going on. And he's desperate and he strikes out and cuts off the ear. As Nate mentioned this morning, Jesus says, you know, he says, forbid this. He heals the ear and says, don't you know that, you know, he says that the Father could send legions of angels. He said, I, I don't need your help in this way. And now it's still not time or very early morning, as we mentioned. And they take Jesus from here before the Sanhedrin. You know, as maybe it was just me, this was helpful to me. Um, and you can find better versions of this online if you, I'm sure, if you look enough. Um, but it seems like some of these things in my head all it's, it's spanned over a great period of time, where they're kind of cut up throughout the different uh, gospel accounts. But these things happen so quickly, and so much happens on Thursday, as as we'll see. So they've gone here and the Last Supper. Um, He's told them Judas is going to betray him. He left. He tells Peter he's going to betray him three times after Peter boasts so grandly of how he is so uh, such a devoted follower. They go to the garden. They pray, and they're there. They Peter and them. They cannot. I know y'all can't read that. Um, they can't stay awake with him. And then Jesus is arrested. It's all happening here on this Thursday. He goes before the Sanhedrin, and all the disciples scatter. We're told except for two. Peter and another, who will later be referred to as the one Jesus loves. I think we can deduce that that is John. So Peter and John do go with him. And this other, other apostle that goes with Jesus, he's known, we're told, by the high priest. So he goes in, and he goes in with Jesus. And when he realizes Peter's watching from outside of the courtyard, uh, he speaks to the servant girl who kept the door, because apparently they're friendly, and she goes and lets him in. And once he is let in, the servant girl immediately asks him, he said, she asks, are you also um, one of the man's disciples? And Peter immediately denies the very first time as soon as he comes in. Now, presumably John is right there. John most likely heard this, but as soon as he, he gets let in, he's asked in this not, doesn't seem an accusing way. She assumes he is because she knows that John is, and Peter immediately denies it the first time. 
but assume that he's in fear, but he denies it. And it's night, probably it's dark and chilly this at this time, so they make a fire in the courtyard, and Peter goes up and he stands to warm himself, and he's questioned again. And of course, Peter, we won't go through all the details of everything, but Peter denies once again. And then now there's another there, we're told it's a relative of the one who had his ear cut off, and he says to Peter, he says, Hey, he says, didn't I see you earlier in the garden? Aren't you the one who cut off my cousin's ear or whatever relation he was? And Peter denies him again. And immediately the rooster crows. Luke 22, Luke 22 and 61 uh, is a heartbreaking passage. There tells us at the moment that he does so that he looks up at Jesus until Jesus turns and looks, looks at Peter. Um, and Peter, who was on fire for Christ this exact same night, we're just an hour or two away from what just, you know, the conversations that transpired. He was so on fire for Christ. The Peter who had walked on water to try to be with Christ. Peter who declared so boldly that who he was, the Christ son of the living God, who he would never be made to stumble or he would never deny him, had just denied Jesus three times. Even though he was told, he was given, you know, a heads up, this is going to happen. And he did it three times and Jesus knew it. And Peter knows that Jesus knows and he can see it in his eyes as Jesus looks at him and Peter we're told runs out and he weeps bitterly and you'll recall the rest here Jesus would go on he would be mocked he'd be beaten made to carry his cross as much as he could and in the end as merciful as ever when speaking to the thief on the cross beside him before he died <clears throat> taking the time while hanging there to look after his own mother there that was looking on then yielding up his spirit and dying. And now the day that Jesus was crucified is still on Thursday. All this happened in one day. Between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., we're told our time, there was darkness. Now according to Leviticus 23 and 5, this is the day, the, the 14th, this will be this Thursday, and then the 14th of the month, that evening, that's the day of preparation. This is the first day of unleavened bread and the day which they will go and they will they will kill the prepared lamb that they had from the tenth. So at the exact same time that Jesus is hanging on this cross, the same day that he is being denied, he's being beaten and he's hung on the cross and died, at this same point in time, this is when they are they are killing and they're preparing the lamb, these perfect lambs. So the lamb in like fashion hanging on the cross is being is being slain and how they didn't break his legs and they were so surprised because they didn't have to break them because they had to take them down because the Sabbath was the, the Passover was the next day. So they had to go, <clears throat> they had to go on. Yeah, the feast, of, yeah, it was coming up. So carry away in my notes here. Um, so they had to have them down for the, for the high day coming up the next Friday. So they were going to go break all their legs, but they didn't have to break his. And that's, you know, kind of looking back, the Passover lamb couldn't have a, have a, a bone broken. And, that, and he, he didn't either. All on this same day, the lamb was being, John 19, 31 tells us, because it was the preparation day that the bodies had to be down before the Sabbath. So he was taken down and he was put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb that day before, before it was night. We read of, of John being there at the crucifixion. We do not read of anyone else besides he and Mary there. Peter was nowhere to be seen there that we're aware of. It seems he was probably ashamed, probably so utterly shocked. This wasn't how things were supposed to go. This was all wrong. And likely he hid in fear and shame. They've been traveling for three years and they had never had any real problems. They've got around everything that's ever happened. Jesus, he was the king. He was coming to you know, establish his kingdom. And just a few days before they were coming into Jerusalem, he was on a donkey. They were putting out palm branches and he was being anointed and they were eating together. Everything was fine. He was on fire and then he denied him. And after he denied him, he was taken, he was beaten and murdered in a matter of hours. Then Saturday, day three, it's a weekly Sabbath. So you have Thursday. This is the, the weekly, the Sabbath was here. Nine, 
is the day of rest. And that night would be the third night. You recall in Matthew 12 and 40, Jesus says that as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man would be in the heart of the, the earth. And this would be the third, the third night as the Hebrew time lines up. Now on the first day of the week, this Sunday here, We read of certain women, Mary Magdalene and other, uh, and the other Mary coming to the tomb. It was very early in the morning and likely still dark or just becoming light. And they, they make their way to Jesus' tomb. They've been busy. It's been, you know, the Sabbath day. This has been in the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They've had a lot going on. It's been very stressful and trying with Jesus being crucified some three days ago. They haven't been able to come to the tomb. And so they come there and they make their way to Jesus' tomb, they've prepared spices to bring that they may bring to the body. And they're worried there will be no one who can roll the stone away for them when they get there. So they may go and anoint him. Before they, before they arrive, as it seems, as I try to read through and piece the different passages together, there's an earthquake that shakes the ground. The angel comes and rolls the stone away and causes to, the guards to be, become as dead men, we're told, for the fear that overtook them. And the women come up and they see the stone rolled away and they look into the tomb and there's an angel sitting there and he tells them he is risen to go and tell the disciples. And it gets a little confusing exactly what events transpire and what exact order. I've done my best to try and look and see how this goes, but she's told to go and tell the disciples. And Mary, we're told she runs and she finds Peter. That's all. That's on this Sunday early morning. She runs, she finds Peter and John's with him. And she tells Peter what's happened and they have to see it for themselves. They can't wait a second. <clears throat> um, and they immediately go. Another interesting note, in Mark's gospel account, he notes that the angel tells, tells Mary to specifically, she, it tells her, he tells her to tell the disciples and Peter. She's told specifically to, to tell Peter. He needs to know. And she tells them, and they can't wait a second, Peter and John run to the tomb. And of course, John, you know, he writes in his account that he let everybody know that he outran Peter to the tomb. He gets to the tomb, looks inside, but he can't enter. He, he does that. I don't believe he's able to make himself go in. Peter arrives and he runs straight in. He has to see it for himself. He can't wait another minute. The clothes are laying there. The handkerchief is folded up. It's laying separately, neatly beside the clothes. And then John, we're told, finally goes in. He gets the gumption, goes in. We're told that once he's in there and sees that he then believed. Then Jesus starts appearing to the disciples. All this in the, the same day, he starts appearing as resurrection. It's resurrection and appearances. This is what he, he's resurrected, resurrected on Sunday, and then he begins to appearing to the disciples. Um, it's been a crazy week. It's only been a week since they first came to Jerusalem. Everything was just absolutely ordinary and all of this has happened and after all they had been through Jesus was suddenly taken he was beaten murdered on a cross buried and has risen three days later all in a matter of a week and now he begins to appear to them first Mary Magdalene sees him the first person Jesus appears to um, after his resurrection John 20 11 uh, we see this is still on Sunday right after Peter and John leave the tomb um, Mary is there weeping and Jesus appears to her. It seems that whenever Peter and John run to the tomb that she and maybe some of the ladies come back with them and after they they see and they're, you know, they can't believe it and they leave and Mary is still there weeping until Jesus appears to her then. It seems that she and perhaps the other ladies um, were still there um, were able to see this but we're told specifically that he appears to her and then tells her uh, um and then they go on their way to tell the other disciples in Matthew chapter 28. And next, after that, Jesus appears to Peter. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5, we see that before he appeared to the other apostles, we see that Jesus appeared to Cephas. And you'll recall that that is the name Jesus told Peter that he would be called by. I believe this, this, here, this was him. We're told that he appeared to him and then the others later. Luke 24, we read that, again, this all seems to be the, the exact same day he would appear to uh, Clopas and others on the road to Emus, however you pronounce that, that town. 
He appears to them there. Then that evening of the resurrection, the disciples, minus Thomas, for whatever reason, they're gathered together. We're told that they are still in fear of the Jews. They have the door shut that no one can come in or see them there. <clears throat> and we're told that Jesus just appears and comes in into their midst. They go after this. They tell Thomas, and he refuses to believe. He, he wasn't, hasn't been to the tomb to see that we know of. Jesus has not appeared to him. Um, he has not seen any of this firsthand. It's too great for him to grasp, it seems. I believe he wants to, to believe, um, but he's probably afraid. But for whatever reason, he refuses to believe. He says, I will not believe unless I can see and I can touch the wounds. And well, we're told that eight days later, the next Monday, the disciples again were gathered together and feared the Jews. The doors were shut. Uh, but Thomas was with them until Jesus once again it just appears in the midst of them in the room. He directs his attention to Thomas, who then believes. And now we come to the discussion of our lesson this evening. Go turn to John chapter 21. <clears throat> I believe that's the majority of the lesson. It's just the, the coming up to this. Uh, the miracle we'll be looking at is through verses 4 through 11. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire chapter because I'm going to kind of go through all of it. <clears throat> so we're going to read the entirety of John chapter 21. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Excuse me. <clears throat> so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. <clears throat> Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on, on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, which uh, from what I figured is about 100 yards so Peter's trying to swim in 100 yards into land here while they're on their boat, um, dragging the net of fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And then when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and is now we know that we know that his, his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which they were written by, one by one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. <clears throat> so it's been a crazy week. Emotions are high. After the unthinkable had happened in Jesus dying, the Seemingly unthinkable happened again, and he arose because they all seemed so shocked when it happened. They, uh, they, that was apparently a great shock to them. 
Then he started again appearing to them afterwards, but the conversation seemed to be very brief. Uh, they're more about solidifying their belief that he is risen than really anything else. They must have been waiting for something, although they're not sure what at this point. The Great Commission has not been given. He has not opened their understanding as of yet. They haven't been blessed with any abilities. They're in kind of a limbo state. and They're not sure what to do, but they are still, it seems, living, they're all still living in fear. Now, perhaps, you know, a week or so later, we really don't know for certain, but we have seven of the disciples gathered together. And that's Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel, James, and John, and two others. And they're all together and perhaps sitting in their home one night, doors shut in fear of the Jews. Uh, Peter seems to get restless. Perhaps they need the food or they need the money. And he says, you know, we're fishermen. We're all here. This is what we, we did a few years ago. He says, I'm going fishing. He doesn't ask them if they want to go. He doesn't say, hey, this is something y'all want to do. He says, I'm going. And they chime in and say, we're, we will follow you. They go straight away that night. They get in their boat and they fish all night. <clears throat> now remember, these are professional fishermen. They've, it's been a few years, most likely since they've done this in this capacity, but they've spent their lives doing this. It just says before, they fish all night in the previous miracle we mentioned at the top of the lesson, and they once again get nothing. <clears throat> As they're wrapping up their night of fishing, there's at a distance on the shore, there's a man, probably early morning at this point, and it's no big deal. There's a man on the shore, and he is out to them. He says, children, have you any food? And the term children here isn't um, as affectionate as we may think it is when Jesus using the term children. Um, it's more of a, you know, hey, boys, or hey, have you all caught anything? More than an intimate relationship between them. And they answer no. Uh, probably a little aggravated to be asked this after a night of fruitless labor. Um, they may be thinking after all this is going on, we've, also, we've, we've lost our touch with fishing. We've lost everything and we can't even fish. Probably feeling extremely defeated. And the man calls out, cast on the right side and you'll find some. And it seems strange this would happen, but perhaps from the shore they might think, well, he may can see a school of fish we can't see. And they go ahead and they cast off on the right side. As we read, so many fish, they came and pulled the net in. You have seven full-grown men, and they, they can't do it. It's too many. It's too many fish. And then it clicks for John, and he looks, and immediately he looks to Peter. He says to him, it's the Lord. This, this is a miracle. He realizes what this is, and he says, it's the Lord. And this is obviously a supernatural occurrence, and they know it. <clears throat> there's always, as we mentioned before, there's always a reason for Jesus' miracles. They're not done just willy-nilly. And John realizes who it is, and he tells Peter, it's the Lord. Now, outside of Jesus appearing to everyone, um, all at the same basic time in one day, and all within houses that are shut and locked, outside of that, um, he really hasn't performed a miracle since he's risen. He has spoken to the disciples a little, but not very much. Uh, and Jesus performs, as we mentioned, miracles for a reason. He does not do these things just to show off, but to testify for who he is. There's a reason behind it. And here Jesus is saying, I believe, not only have I risen from the dead, as I said I would, now you've seen, I am proving to you, I'm proving to you again that I am the Son of God. I'm not just, it's, I'm not like Lazarus who was raised from the dead. I'm the Son of God. I am back, and I have been given all authority, as we see in Matthew 28 and 18. I'm everything that you hoped that I would be. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I am the Son of God. I believe that's part of what this is, is he is showing them through this miracle who he is. He's giving them that hope as he did in the beginning when he called them to follow him <clears throat> with this same miracle. Now, I think a lot of things are probably happening in Peter's mind right now. As we mentioned, there have been no long discords with Jesus that we have seen. Not only are they realizing more and more who Jesus is um, since his appearing to them, more fully grasping it probably than they had previously, but it's dawning much more so now through this miracle, and that's, that's exciting to them, I believe. And to Peter as well, but Peter hasn't had any, uh, I don't, haven't seen, I don't know that he has any one-on-one -on -one time to talk with Jesus. And Peter's always want to ask questions and want to know more. And it's been roughly two or three weeks possibly since Peter denied Jesus three times. And then roughly 12 hours or so after he denied him, maybe less, Jesus was dead. And I'm sure Peter is also feeling 
He needs to get some things off his chest, perhaps. Maybe he feels the need to tell Jesus that he's still all in. Um, what are we doing now? What's next? Now, whatever the case is, in typical Peter fashion, his brain just makes a decision. He acts on it immediately. I, as I mentioned, I, I love Peter. The English Standard Version <clears throat> translates verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, it, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Depending on what translation you have, it may say that he was naked. I don't believe that Peter was naked. He was naked here. He took off his outer garment, a cloak of some kind, um, as they were working that night fishing, and out of whether out of respect for Jesus, perhaps to, to be modest in public, it sure wasn't going to help him swim. Peter throws it on, and he dives straight off the boat and starts swimming. As we mentioned, it's 100 yards to where Jesus is. And if you don't swim very often, 100 yards is a long way. And Peter doesn't care. He immediately just takes off and begins to swim. And if you want a, a literal definition of what Jesus told them, you know, before the first miracle, for, you know, to well, what they did after the first miracle, they forsook everything and followed him. And later Jesus would say to leave all things to follow him. If you want a, a little definition of that, this is it right here. The men that came with Peter to fish because he wanted to fish, they're all struggling with this net. And then there goes Peter just running, jumping out of a boat. You can, in my head, I can almost hear John chuckle to himself saying, you know, the idea that's about right. He turned and told Peter, I think he probably knew what was coming when he told him. And there goes Peter. They're still struggling with this net, <clears throat> um, even more so now than before. They couldn't get it in, so they get in a smaller boat. Probably they're not too far from shore. They get a smaller boat that was with them, and then they go the 200 cubits or 100 yards in. And they get to shore, and Jesus has set for them, he has fish and bread set on coals waiting. He tells them you know, to you know, bring some fish over and <clears throat> to them. And then it says, after he says to bring the fish over, that Simon Peter and you know, the rest were told, when they, came, when they came onto land, were told they see this. And then he says, bring some fish. And we're told Simon Peter just j jumps up and goes and drags the net into land. And it seems that, you know, Peter's back. He's back. Jesus says, jump. Peter doesn't really even ask how high. He just starts jumping. Jesus says, bring some fish. And Peter brings, we're told, all 153 large fish in the net. He drags all of them up to the shore. There's no possible way they could eat that many fish. For breakfast, and Peter does it. He's Peter's excited, and he's there to do whatever he can. And the lesson I think here from Peter, um, I'm sure there is no one here that's more humbled than Peter to be in the presence of Jesus at this time, after all that's happened, after what's probably been on his mind constantly for these few weeks. No one more ashamed of themselves, ashamed of his proud boasting, of his doubting of Jesus, ashamed of his denial after the boasting. But Peter does not let that stop him for even half a second when he's given a chance to do what he needs to do. What's required? Okay, 100 miles an hour in that direction. You know, we sometimes get bogged down with our mistakes and our, and our sins, and it, many times it seems that we may use that as an excuse to keep going. I'm just, I'm just a sinner. I can't do any better. And we let ourselves continue in that. And Peter doesn't act that way. Peter is all in for Christ. He doesn't let his past things that he's done just weeks before keep him from doing what he knows needs to be done. He does it, and he doesn't shy away. <clears throat> I'm curious what, if any conversation, if he made it there before the rest of the disciples he may have had with Jesus before them. We don't know. <clears throat> also, perhaps another miracle, the net's not broken. It specifically mentions there that somehow without the 153 large fish, that the net is not broken. <clears throat> he remained intact. Jesus asked him to come and eat breakfast, and we are told they are fully aware that this is Jesus. <clears throat> As we mentioned, Jesus doesn't perform miracles just to perform a miracle. There's a reason behind it. And they're t it's read, read there that they didn't have to ask. They knew that it was him. I believe that was a major point of this, was he wanted them to know, and they know. He appeared other times, and he spoke to them, and they, they didn't really know it was him, or they, didn't our hearts burn within us, when they didn't really fully grasp. But now... Even though they didn't recognize him from the shore or recognize his voice, he may look a little bit different, maybe not exactly the same, but there's no doubt. This is a miracle of fish. This is The net's not breaking. Jesus, having food prepared and waiting for them when they got to shore, they may have breakfast with him. This has to be him. This is the Messiah. And so they sit down and they eat together. Jesus has now proven to them 
and with no explanation required that he is the Son of God. He is risen from the dead. He is all-powerful, <clears throat> and they are there with him. We're, when we're first starting the scripture ourselves, becoming you know, better acquainted with who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it's not only, only natural to want to study deeper and see what things are true and what things are so. I think that's, that's natural for us to want to no more understand, want to prove things to ourselves. And I think Thomas gets, you know, given a hard time because of this whenever he wouldn't believe before because I believe many people would be the same way not that we don't want to believe but you know can it be can it really be true can Jesus love us this much and he does and he did die for us <clears throat> he who is greater who, who was greater than the angels was made lower than the angels that he could be exalted above all others and given all authority in heaven and in earth Jesus is preparing um here in a short while, then for the Great Commission. And these, here they believe, and this miracle helped with that. And we should be like these disciples. We don't have the miracles today, but we have the full revelation of God here, something that they, even the apostles, didn't have. <clears throat> Once we come to the realization of who Jesus is, and we need no further proof, you know, don't lie to ourselves. Don't come up with some excuse, you know, you know, we should follow him. We should break bread, as it were, as his disciples did with him and become a true disciple of Christ. Once again, we're going to continue past. This is, that's the end of the miracle, but we're going to keep going a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, once they finish their breakfast, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, or Jonah, uh, he doesn't call him Peter, which means rock. I don't know if that's significant or not, but Peter would mean rock. And in this discourse they're about to have, I, I believe there's some significance to that. He says, do you love me more than these? And we covered a bit ago how, a few times we mentioned how Peter boasted and that even if the others forsook Jesus, he says he would never forsake them. He was, had, he was the most devoted of all the disciples, <clears throat> though he seems to be the first one that did so at the first chance he had. Jesus knows that Peter loves him, but, there, but here he's asking the question to allow Peter to process some things, I believe, and to examine and to come to a conclusion of the matter, something that we should all do if we find ourselves contrary to Scripture. And Peter was not asked, you know, if he, do you fear me? He wasn't asked, do you believe in me? Do you admire me? But he was asked, do you love me? <clears throat> you, know, you may fear me, you may believe in me, but I want you to examine your love for me. Examine what that love is. I want you to do this yourself and find the truth yourself and to admit it. And the words love used by Jesus and Peter here, they are different words and <clears throat> they don't have the, the exact same meaning. It translates into English love, but it's not the same. Jesus asked him if he loves him more than these other, I believe, disciples. Some believe he's speaking of the fish and speaking of worldly things. You love me more than these fleshly things. I don't believe that's what he's speaking of here. I believe he's, he's calling Peter's mind back to the, the boastful claim he made. He's asking him, do you love me more <clears throat> than these, these others here? The word love Jesus used, it denotes um, love that's not only strong devotion, but is of a high order. This love is great. It's a superior kind of love, similar to what Peter had boasted of prior. Peter answers that he loves him, but the word he uses is not the same. It doesn't mean he loves Jesus less, but the word is more of a warmer love, a love out of close association with and a kinship. Some will say that Peter, once again, is being questioned on fleshly things. I do not believe so. I think Jesus is questioning his love um, and bringing back to what Peter mentioned before. <clears throat> so the first real conversation they're having and the thing that probably weighed on Peter's mind the most the last few weeks, and Jesus is addressing it directly to Peter in front of the others. Peter boasted a devotion, how it was greater. Jesus is asking this so that Peter can understand for himself that, what, that his role is not to be a ruler over, over others, to be greater than others, but to help shepherd others. Peter is answering humbly. You know, he loves Jesus, but is not willing to say that he loves him as he did before, as Jesus is probing him about it. Jesus tells him, if you do love me, feed my lambs. This word is not merely to give a meal, but more the idea to put to pasture, to allow to graze a prolonged feeding, as I understand it. Again, Jesus asks a second time, Simon, son of Jodah, do you love me? Peter answers the same way, yes, Lord, you know I love you. At this point, Peter, I think, understands 
the lesson being taught. Peter understands that Jesus is pointing back to the courtyard to the time that he was denied shortly after being, or shortly before being crucified. Because the third time Jesus asks, he uses the same word Peter uses. Yeah, and Peter has been unwilling to say that he loves Jesus greater than the others. And this third time, matching the three times Peter had denied, Jesus says to Simon, son of, son of John, do you, have, do you love me? Do you have this warm, close affection for, you, for me that you are claiming? About Peter's mind, as we mentioned, goes back to the courtyard, to when he had boasted to Jesus how he would never deny him and how he had and the look in Jesus' eyes when Jesus turned to look to him, how he had ran from the courtyard, wept bitterly at what he had done. And because Jesus had asked him these three times, as he had been denied three times, Peter is grieved to the point of distress, we're told, and says, Lord, you know all things. <clears throat> you know that I love you. Peter has realized his error. Peter has been humbled, and Peter I believe it accepts his correction. He understands his place here. Jesus tells him again that he will feed his sheep and he will, he will watch over the flock. He'll watch over the church. And Jesus goes on and says, not only that, you will feed my sheep and you will go and you will do so until you are uh, dressed by another and taken against your will. We're told signifying by what death um, he would glorify God. And uh, I went over that in a study I had on Peter. I won't go on the details of that. That's an interesting a study on that as well. After Peter, Jesus tells Peter in what way that he would go on to be martyred, Peter turns and sees the one that Jesus loved, John, there. And he asks Jesus, he says, well, what about this man? Um, will he also die in this way? And at first it may seem that Peter is asking in a jealous way, you know, I'm going to die? Why do I have to die? What about him? Is he going to die, the one that you love? <clears throat> will he, he be killed too? But I don't believe this is the case here. Peter, outside denying Jesus, never seems to shy away from any work. Uh, it's always up for more. You can also see through scriptures that Peter and John are very close. They are always together, always interacting with each other. And especially after the, the conversation um, Peter and Jesus just had, I don't think that Peter here is upset about what he's being told. I think he is worried for his friend. He loves Jesus. He's going to share with the flock for Jesus, and he will, as we'll go on to see, go on to do so with full knowledge of how he's going to die. He goes on and continues to do it. Peter here is worried about his close friend, John. Jesus says, if I wanted him to live forever until I come back, what's it matter to you? You follow me. Don't worry about the others. You follow me. You feed my sheep. That's what I need. That's what I need you to do. Apparently, we're told at the end of this, that this got out that John would never die. And then John says that he's, he's the one who is writing this and that all the things that they saw, all the things that Jesus said, if there was written a book, that <clears throat> the world itself could not hold the volumes. That's where we'll end our, our time this evening. I apologize for it going so long. Hopefully it was uh, beneficial, was interesting to us. Now there's a whole lot that we went through in the beginning and then afterwards that wasn't really to do with the miracle, but I hope that it was uh, beneficial for us to see. And I think an important thing with these miracles, as we said, is that <clears throat> excuse me, miracles are never done for no reason. There's always a reason why Jesus performs these miracles. And here after the resurrection, here I believe it was to help remind the disciples who he was, to call them back to follow him once again. And we see that that was exactly what happened. They followed after him and they knew immediately it was, they had no question who he was anymore.